Hi, this is Trent Bryson coming with a podcast called Grit Rising to you today. My whole vision of the podcast is to bring in stories and people that are doing unique things that don't always have the path painted for them. They're kind of finding a way to be different, unique, and special. Welcome to the next episode of Grit Rising. I have a very special guest today, uh, Lauren Abraham. She didn't even really know she was coming, but I talked her into coming and uh, spending an hour with me. Um, as we normally do, I ask you to do the intro of yourself, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Okay. Thank you for having me, Trent. This is awesome. Your place is absolutely beautiful. And um, yeah, so my name is Lauren Abraham. I'm a lifelong professional athlete, uh, turned TV host, turned professional dancer, turned director, producer, back to uh, just being a wild free spirit and living my best life, the best I can with what I got. I love that so much. Um, let's start from the beginning, though. Let's go. So you're growing up, uh, parents, brothers, um, skiing, snowboarding. Walk me through kind of like a little bit about your childhood. Just, and the reason I say that is there's been a theme that goes throughout this uh, that for some reason those that seem to like overcome or do great things always have this unique family dynamic. And, and what actually got this episode started or this whole show started was what makes people tick, what makes some people become so successful and what makes others not. And so I just tell us a little bit about like where it all started and how you got into snowboarding and skiing and all that fun stuff. Okay, well, yeah, I will do that. But first I want to give you a compliment because Grit Rising is, an, is a fantastic, fantastic uh, title for a podcast. It'd probably be the title of my podcast, maybe. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, I'd say I really feel a little like I'm like a phoenix. I've uh, risen out of the grit and the grime of that has been my life. And um, for that, I think that's what my parents, you know, installed in me in a very young age. So um, yeah, my, you know, my mom put me on skis at the age of three. And um, my mom and my real dad, they divorced when I was five. And my mom moved me to a mountain cabin up in the woods at Crystal Mountain because so, she believed in me and my little brother being on the ski team, and um, we didn't have much. And so that's what we did. I played with a bow and arrow in the woods, and I would ski on the, uh, in the winter. And then my mom reunited with her best friend's boyfriend, who she knew, because she took me down into town an hour and a half to a dentist appointment um, and there was Rick Sicani. he pulled up at a stoplight and my mom rolled down the window of her Wagoneer and next you know he became my stepdad and I was on the ski team and I was training like a maniac and there was no ifs ands or buts about it and that was my entire life like I was whipped into being an athlete in a very young young um at a very young age and I think how a lot of people are whipped into you know football basketball all that stuff to get out of the hood or whatever it is that they need to do their parents do that that they they invest in them as that as that ticket out and for me that was my mom and my stepdad's I think um, investment in me um, not that it was my ticket out but it was what they believed in and what's what the lifestyle that they lived and they're still terminators to this day um, I'm literally driving here to come see you and my dad goes do you want to come and compete in the stadium stair competition in Tacoma Washington because I get first place every year and so does he and so does my mom and so does my brother and that's you know that's just in our fiber and that's you know that's part of our grit <laughs> so yeah it's um it's it's unique because mm -hmm. so when I was growing up there's all these coaches for soccer mm -hmm. and every and, and especially when we were growing up 
everybody had a dad as a coach. And I was the one guy that had my mom as a, a soccer coach all the time. And she played like some semi-pro soccer. And she was the big soccer person. My dad was the, the baseball football guy. My brother was baseball football. But it's unique how those athletic families stay like in that athletic sense. Right. Um, was your mom a good skier? She's still, she's one of the most beautiful skiers to this day. I mean, she yeah. smokes everyone. My dad smokes everyone. Um, we have cabins all over the place, you know. Their poverty turned into immense wealth because they worked their asses off. Um, and so, yeah, so anyways, <clears throat> long story short, I resented them, um, actually, for them doing that to me and became very rebellious as I grew up and hit middle school. Um, when I hit middle school, I quit the ski team, even though I was like, being joined as the junior olympic ski team and i said you know what i don't want to bang gates i don't i'm not attracted to these guys in these downhill suits i'm attracted to these new snowboard guys that i see around smoking cigarettes drinking beers they like me a little bit so i'm gonna start snowboarding and i ran away from home and um literally got arrested as a runaway in my freshman year in high school and worked three jobs and saved enough money to start buying snowboards and um yeah Went pro at snowboarding two years later and moved to Lake Tahoe after I graduated on a uh, English journalism scholarship and then got the first snowboard scholarship. Um, was heavily into smoking pot. Um, I was a big writer, uh, creative writer. I was editor-in-chief of the Art and Literary Magazine in high school, and so I naturally became a writer for the college newspaper. And I got Ds and Fs and everything in school, um, math, science, everything. But um, PE and English, I would always get A's. Crushed PE, huh? <laughs> Crushed PE. Yeah. Um, another cool little thing that my my um, my real father, who raised me on a golf course, driving the golf cart um, when I was younger, he, um, you know, I think was addicted to to love and sex, and he moved away with his fifth wife to our fourth wife to Chile in Santiago. So in high school, when I'm pursuing this snowboarding career, my dad is living in Chile. Well, you know, the seasons are reversed, and so I would go and spend summers with him and I would snowboard all summer. So I just had one up on everybody because I was doing endless yeah. winter. Yeah, it was freaking beyond awesome. In that two minutes of, of what you just talked about, mm -hmm. there's a pretty big pivot in the middle of that. You're like, oh, I was raised by my mom and stepdad and they were so supportive and then all of a sudden you started to rebel and you started to resent. Walk me through a little bit of that because you, you went through it so fast, but that's <laughs> like so all of a sudden ago. everything's going, going so well. well. Your mom's probably like, I'm living the dream. My kids are doing what, they're, what I wanted them to do. They seem so happy. And all of a sudden you go, nah, I'm going to fuck that. I'm going this way. Mm -hmm. So like what, what do you think caused that? Um, there was a lot of rage in my family. A lot. Yeah. My parents worked so hard. My mom and my stepdad worked so hard. Um, my real father had 11 children. My stepdad already had a child. They had a child together. I'm one of 13. Um, and so there was a lot. I was raised as my real father's second to youngest. I was raised as my mother's oldest with a baby on my hip because they were building their dream house. They were never around. They were in love with each other. My stepdad wasn't really into me and my brother Josh. Um, other than for our athletics. He didn't know how to be a dad. He's not a very compassionate person, very emotional person. I could say that to him. He's now my best friend. Um, but he's, you know, he's a, he's a dude's dude, hardcore. He has a very hard time showing emotion, but when he sees me hosting X Games or on Fox Sports Net years down the road, you know, tears are sh of joy are crawling he's down. He's Super, super. So I think that, you know, I just had a lot of, I was called the chameleon later on in my career because I could adapt to any environment. 
And I think that, you know, when you're just having people come in out of your life consistently, whether it be stepmoms, um, I was kicked out of schools. I was at new schools every year. Um, what were you doing to get kicked out? Uh, nicknamed the ringleader, ringleader of the troublemakers. Got it. You know, the grit. Yeah. <laughs> So, <laughs> literally, can I, can I go into that a little bit? Um, do you think like when you're skiing and you're competing skiing, you're competing against and when the snowboard came out or snowboarding became popular, it wasn't so much that hardcore me against you was more of like a tribe that came together. Right. And that's where I was always dating those under those, um, Older guys, I was going to say younger guys, <laughs> no, older guys, um, and my parents were okay with that. Like, we would go to the mountain on the weekends, and we'd arrive. My parents would pick me up out of school at 3.30 p.m. in our jacked-up four-wheel drive Ford van, okay? It's locked and loaded. We're leaving from Bellarmine Prep High School, like, literally the college preparatory school, yep. you know, that my real father was an alumni from and was the quarterback and a lot of other political things that we don't need to talk about because um, we don't know who's listening. So um, anyways, so and this was how it was in the summer too. They raised me in Hood River, windsurfing, kite surfing every single weekend, 3.30, wheels up. We don't come home until Sunday night at midnight. So I was never participating on the weekends with my peers at school, yeah. in high school, in middle school, in, in grade school. I was never there during the weekend to connect because I was always wheels up at 3.30. We're going training. We're banging gates. We're racing. We're doing what we do. I mean, <clears throat> so that in itself got a lot of resentment in me because I would, you know, you have daughters or a daughter, yeah. you know, and I would scream at my parents, you know, fuck you. I fucking hate you. I just want to go to a homecoming. I just want to go to this or that or whatever it is. I just want to go to the football game. My God, I got arrested as a runaway in high school because I wasn't going to go to a basketball game till it was my senior year. And I'm friends with all the jocks, of course. I mean, those are the guys that I'm going to the, the dances with and they're my best friends. But I got arrested my senior year in high school again um, because I was at the park drinking beers with the basketball players before their game because they finally had a game on Thursday and yeah. I could make it and they were so stoked. But I'm the one that had the backpack in my beers or beers in my backpack, backpack in my beers, beers in my backpack. And I took the rap for them so they could make their game because yeah. that's what, you know, a girl with 11 brothers does. They take the rap for the brothers. So, so but, I did. It, but it was you <laughs> and your brother were the closest. Um, I've been close with all my brothers. Um, but growing up, it was you. Yeah, me and my two younger brothers. We were super tight. I grew up with two stepbrothers living next door. Okay. Um, you know, and I was partying with them because they were significantly older. Yeah. And all my brothers were hooking up with my girlfriends, and I had no problem with that. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Because I, you know, I'm a guy's gal. And, um, yeah. So, long story short, you know, I moved to Tahoe and went, you know, went from being bullied hard hard i mean bullied really really hard not only by the girls but by guys also in middle school and high school to going to college and being a superstar bullying you for what um being athletic uh being awkward being too skinny being the girl that could dance i was the only girl in, in you know that did that i mean i became a professional dancer later in my life owned a dance company for nine years and the cheerleaders hated me in high school yeah i wonder why it's but i wasn't participating yeah. on the weekends with them so how was there ever to be a bond 
Yeah. You know. My, I have a niece in Idaho, and she plays on the baseball league, not the softball league, and she, like, won the home run contest. And, and I look at her, and she dresses like a boy, like, acts, hangs out with all the boys, all her brothers, friends, and all that. And I, she's, she's a badass, and I'm so proud of her. I always, though I was an uncle, too, I'm like, is she going to be okay, like, in this environment? Does she need some girlfriends to just be normal with? And, and I... Your thoughts on that? Um, I dressed very, very feminine, um, but I had a lot of guy friends just because from skiing and snowboarding. Yeah. You know, and I always had a ride or die best girlfriend, you know, and she, her and I had the most fun, way more fun than everyone else. And I'm still friends with some people from high school, um, and they were like, you grew up so fast. I mean, I, my boyfriend at one point was 27 years old and I was 17. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I was still a virgin until I was 20. So there's that. Is that because your mom's listening? Or no, it's because I believed in the power of the pussy. Uh, okay. And I can manipulate everything that way. Okay. And we still can. So, um, yeah. So fast forward, I go to Tahoe. I go to Sierra Nevada College. And I immediately, I'm writing for LibTech, Smith, Drake Bindings. I mean, you name them. Decline. You name it, I'm writing for it. I write a proposal for a snowboard scholarship. Get it granted. Get the first snowboard scholarship in the United States. Amazing. Um, I start hanging out with a bunch of significant pros, like literally and barely, barely even making it to class. And um, there's no really real females that are like riding with me and these guys that are like at this level. And so I just start getting injured one after the other, after the other, after the other. Like, holy shit. Like I first in high school, I blew out my knee. Yeah. Over, you know, clip. How many bones broken? I don't even know how many bones broken, but 14 surgeries. 14, 14 surgeries. Yeah, so, I mean, bones, God, that's, that's, that's amateur hour. And I read you were, you were in a wheelchair for like two years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get there. Jesus. Because I couldn't, I hate it when I'm down for like two days from an injury. Oh. Let alone two, two years. years. Well, I had my, my, you know, I blew my knee out in high school, and then, I, and then I went to college my freshman year, and I dislocated my shoulder over 100 times shooting for a LibTech film. Yeah. From Mervyn Manufacturing, you know, I was the only girl to ride for LibTech and Red Bull. I was the first girl to ride for Red Bull, too. That's freaking crazy. Um, and, yeah, and so I dislocated my shoulder over 100 times, got that done. And then, literally, my first outing back, visiting my family, my dad's like, let's go for a mountain bike ride. Because he's a, you know, massive mountain bike rider, and that's what we do still to this day together. And I fell off a cliff and grabbed onto a branch so I wouldn't die and literally let go of the bike and held onto a branch and my whole my other arm dislocated and like it was just it's just a nightmare so next you know two dislocations so two surgeries on my on both my shoulders um and then my knee my left knee and then next you know <clears throat> my real father um or my blood father him and I are homies. We're super tight. And he is the one that's putting me through college and doing all this stuff and funding the whole thing, okay? I don't yeah. talk to my mom and my stepdad at this point because I'm so heavily into partying and so into the sport and everything. And they're just kind of like, whatever. She's on her own journey. Um, but he called me and he was like, listen, you know, like you are really, really smart and you are a writer and you can be a TV personality 
um, in this realm. I see where you're, where you're, what you're born to be, but you got to get your education up because these grades that you're sending me, I'm not going to support this. Yeah. Your majors snowboarding, your minors partying, like where are we going with this? And you're not going to the um, SIA, Snowboard Industries of America trade show, or Ski Industries of America trade show yeah. in Vegas. You're not doing that this year. You're getting your grades up, and next thing you know, my boyfriend at the time, who's now a uh, <clears throat> four, he was in the Olympics three times, five X Games medals in a row. I was managing his career, um, getting him sponsored by all my sponsors. We we're completely codependent on each other um, in every single horrible way you can imagine, yeah. in a dysfunctional way, because we were so young. Um, and he calls me from Vegas and he's like, I just, I have a stunt double work for you for a Hollywood horror film. And we're gonna fly you out here and we're gonna get in an RV and we're gonna go up with the whole crew and we're gonna go up to Big Bear and you're gonna do stunt double work for this actress, for yeah. this film. So fuck your dad, this is your way out. This is your way out. And I'm like, oh my God, this is happening. And that's when all the young snowboarders were doing stunt double work. Yeah. JP Walker, JT Holmes for skiing. That's when people, you know, that's when it was becoming cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's when it was becoming cool. So I did. And next, you know, um, we were acid dropping, which is when you literally jump out of a helicopter and drop into a bowl of powder yep. in front, you know, like literally, and they just kind of hover at Mountain High right here. And then next, you know, I was at Big Bear and I was hungover and the director didn't understand the, uh, the sports that we do at the level, what it takes. Yeah. And he wanted me to do this big air jump. And he said, she's the only female that we've hired to do these stunts on the board. So tell her to get her ass up here. Otherwise, she's out. Yeah. And I was shaking. I had a sewing machine leg, and I was shaking like crazy when, out of fear when I was buckling into my bindings. <clears throat> my boyfriend at the time, who was... Same guy. Same guy who became a serious, serious, significant part of my grit rising. Let's okay. Say that. Okay, we're going to get there. Um, anyways, he was just like, just follow me off like you do when we're practicing at Squaw. You got this, babe. And I was like, okay. Well, he drops and I don't follow him. Because yeah. I have to speed, I have to understand the speed of the jump. Yeah. So I don't undershoot it or overshoot it. Yeah. Well, I overshot it from 55 feet up in the air. Yeah. And I broke both of my ankles. My knee went into my chest, splattered three of my ribs, went into my nose, splattered my nose, and it broke my eye socket. And um, I was a bloody mess, literally on the snow. They wanted, there's a show called Real TV, like yeah. the worst things that you've ever seen on television. They wanted to send the footage there. I said no. And um, yeah, I remember just laying there, bloody mess, couldn't feel anything, and then waking up in the hospital at Big Bear. And um, there was a woman there that came off of production, and she wanted to get my notes and my story because she wanted to make sure that I was taken care of insurance-wise. Yeah. And she was awesome. She did not tell anyone that she was there. I don't know who this earth angel is, and I believe in earth angels so much. And she was like, we need to get everything on paper, and I'm going to slip this into your bag so you can have a story to tell to an attorney when it comes to. God. Yeah. Thank God for that woman. Yeah. Yeah. Still don't know who she is. No clue. She was from production. She was like probably a fucking PA, or maybe she was doing the lunch. I don't know. Maybe she was there to watch over things and making sure that slip, things don't slip through the cracks. But anyways, I don't know who she is. She's the only person that came to see me other than my dude. <clears throat> Two nights later, we get in a limo. Carlo Mondavi from Mondavi Wines was part of the stunt double work. He was one of the best snowboarders with us. Um, my boyfriend at the time's best friend. Pulls, puts us in a limo. We go down to Disneyland. 
I'm blacking out on Percocets and everything. Um, we go back, and I don't call my parents. I don't call my dad. I don't call my mom. I don't call the college. And I next, you know, become an isolating drug addict in a wheelchair from 21 to 23, 23 years old in a condo at the base of Squaw Valley. Just so depressed. Taking painkillers. I was the fast, fifth fastest snowboarder in the nation at the time for border cross. Yeah. And my dad told me, if you break yourself off one more time, it's over. Yeah. So you couldn't tell? Couldn't tell anyone. Didn't call anyone. They didn't come looking for you? My mom didn't, you know, after a while. She was like, what's going on? And um, <clears throat> Like after a while, like, like two weeks or like two years? Two months. Two months. Um, but what happened was is um, no one else knew, except for the locals, that um, me and this guy had a very domestic violent relationship okay. behind the scenes um, before this happened. And then when this happened, it got really, really, really dark. That was his power to control you. Oh, my God. He finally was in control of a wild beast he could never tame. Yeah. And he finally felt in control. But in the same regard, he felt like his partner wasn't there to, you know, show up. And I was so angry at the world. I was drinking to die, using to die. I mean, it was, I was done. And, and you, I mean, at 21 years old, when your whole life is built on your snowboarding career, yeah. it's just, it's the same thing. It's the same sport story that we hear over and over and over, you know, but you add domestic violence in there as a young woman, you know, with everything at your fingertips other than just sports. And it just becomes real dark, real fast. And it was a living nightmare. It's, um, it's shocking to me how often domestic violence occurs um, and doesn't get talked about, but more on the verbal than the physical. The physical is easy, right? You get beat up, and most people see it, you would think. The, the verbal beating you down. Um, oh, that happened way later in another relationship. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's stop right here. So, so there's a big difference between emotional and verbal abuse compared to physical abuse. I'll take a physical abuse all day. I'm a fucking machine. Yeah. I can get beat up. But the emotional and the, physical, and the verbal abuse, that'll, tell you, that'll destroy you. So I have two questions around, around the... The base of squaw. One, you're close with both parents, not really close, but close, right? If my mom doesn't hear from me in a week, she's like, she's coming to find me, right? Like today, even at 46 years old, my mom's going to be like coming finding me um, and, and figure out what's going on. She, uh, so my first question is like, parents, they just assumed you're okay. They knew you were in trouble. Like, you had already been estranged? Like, what? I don't think they knew the level of how bad it was until I would call my mom screaming in the middle of the night. Fuck it, you gotta help me. He's gonna kill me. Blah, 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 blah. And she'd be like, what in the world? You know what I mean? And then she wouldn't hear from me for a few days. You know, there was a lot of alcohol and drug use being yeah. going on, you know. And but then, luckily, it didn't last that long, you know. Like, my my my... You know, um, two years, that's a long time. Yeah, it's a long time. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. That's a, that's a, that's a, I couldn't I couldn't imagine. You know, I have two kids. One's 20. So a, a year younger and runs track. And I I, I ran track. We, we, we talk, talk, you know, <laughs> two, three days a week, you know, and, and, and my daughter, obviously, we talk every day. But um, I couldn't imagine two years of them like being in that. And so 
your ride-or-die girlfriends, where are they during this? They tried. Everyone tried. Everyone fucking tried. Why do you think that... Because I, I, have, I have a ride-or-die girlfriend. That I was just, so codependent on and, him and vice versa. I don't... How do, like, you beautiful, wonderful women get in this place? I, I can't... And it's not... It's like true ignorance on my part. Like, I've tried to help her through this and I couldn't she had to like see it on her own so all I could do was just check in on her and show her love and know her, let her know I was going to be there for her on the other side mm -hmm. like any advice there any advice oh re realize the difference between love and obsession yeah. yeah because obsession is the opposite of love love is wanting the best for the other person obsession is wanting the best for yourself How'd you learn that? Because I lived it. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, <laughs> we live it, but then how do you take a step away from it and go? Because when I was literally in a wheelchair and he's taking a, you know, a sauce of a, a pan, frying pan to my head and hitting me in the head and putting eggs in my eyes and I'm in a wheelchair and there's nothing I can do. And he's like screaming at me, why don't you love me the way I love you, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, because, and I'd be crying. I'm like, because this isn't love. Yeah. You are obsessed with me loving you, and I will never love you for what you're doing to me. It was that, you know what I mean? It's yeah. that, it was that psychopathic, no. narcissist shit that most athletes have. Yeah, I mean, they say, That's where the selfishness comes in and the narcissism comes in and they don't give a fuck about who they hurt along the way, physically, mentally, emotionally. Yeah, it's that, that unique stage. They say that, um, well, I, I listened to Jerry West. Tiger Woods' dad brought him in once to teach him the difference between competing and then being like off, like, like on camera, right? Because like, Jerry West wanted to destroy everybody when he's on the basketball court, but when he's in the camera, he had to be like, hey, how are you? Oh, yeah, he, he worked really hard today when he really wanted the guy to, like, break his ankle or whatever, right? Right, right. Um, and so that... Great, great example. Yeah. yeah. That, and, and I was talking to a friend on a run the other day. He's like, finding that balance of wanting to win so bad, but knowing that when you won, you lost because you, you weren't the best person, right? Like, there's ways... <laughs> that we can win things in life, but lose, lose in life. Yeah, well, everyone's got a demon, you know? Some demons are just a little bit different than others. Yeah. yeah. And then as we get older, it seems like we start to think more about winning in life, but that narcissism is just like winning that, that battle right there versus, mm -hmm. versus the, overall, the overall war. So you go through this for two years. What makes you wake up? What makes you go? I called my mom um, after a severe incident. So first off, we'll back up. so I got two. After I got out of the wheelchair, I was hobbling around. At this point, I don't even care to snowboard anymore. You know, I am completely air hire unhirable. I have an eviction notice on my door. Um, you know, I'm just writing bad checks, pulling money out of ATMs like we used to be able to. I mean, it was just all bad. You know, just having affairs with married men. I mean, anyone that would put food in my mouth, drugs in my system, I was all for it. Um, and so I did a lot of jail time, in and out of jail time, with two DUIs, you know. Um, coming out of blackouts, beating the shit out of girls that just would look at me wrong in the bar because I had so much anger. You're like 5'3". 5'1". 5'1", 
10 pounds. I was 100, probably 100, 104 then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you have anger, you Just know. Just 104 pounds of fury. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I like uh, it. <laughs> so you would. <laughs> so, um, so anyways, yeah. So I had, it was a powder day. I still had my riding crew and we rocked like a Tahoe storm. You know, a typical Tahoe storm is like five feet of powder in 24 hours. Yeah. you know 48 hours and my buddies pulled me out of my darkness and we went and rocked we did half day at squaw half day at alpine meadows munchkin shoots um and you know next you know we're drinking red bull vodkas you know at apre and boom you know i'm just going through brownouts because we haven't really eaten anything all day and um you know next you know i i wake up to this and I know that knock, it's the cops, because I know that knock so well. I've had yeah. them arrest me so many times from my home, from my friend's homes, from my boyfriend at the time's home. Um, and I'm like, fuck, and I tap my lamp, and who I think I'm having sex with, it's the ex that I've broken up with at this point. Yeah. And there's blood everywhere in my room. I'm in a, coming out of a blackout, obviously. Yeah. And I kick him off of me. I'm like, what have you done? And I think that he's maybe cut me or hurt me or something, and I'm fine. And he's like, starts screaming and crying, and, you know, the... <laughs> Abraham, open up, and I already have. I'm already on probation. Yeah. If I drink, I'm going back to They know to who jail. you are. I'm Lauren Abraham in yeah. Squaw Valley, Tahoe City. It's bad. And um, anyways, the story's lagging, but it's pretty it's a big reason for my I won't take no for an answer lifestyle that yeah. why I've become so successful in my life so we're gonna get through this um so anyways they open up the door um he goes and scurries like a fucking squirrel somewhere in my condo to go hide yeah and um they're like Lauren you need to make a statement your friend David Brum who's also you know semi-pro snowboarder is in the hospital internal bleeding to his brain he's going into a coma what happened here tonight and I had no statement to give. You didn't know? I was in a blackout. And the, the ex had beat him up? Obviously. They came into my room and the whole place was a, looked like a, you know. A, a real crime scene. scene. A crime scene. Yeah, a real one. Like, yeah. a, like a real one. So anyways, they're looking for him. I'm telling them I don't know where he is. I don't even know if he's here. So you're defending him even though you... I'm so scared. I don't even know what the fuck's going on. And they're like, all right, well, you've broken probation. We're not going to arrest you right now because you were absolutely not anywhere. You cannot go down to Auburn County in this way. We're going to come back and get you tomorrow. Um, so just be ready. We're going to come and arrest you tomorrow. And we're going to go see what the judge has to say about this. In the meantime, you need to fucking figure out what the hell happened here tonight because your statement is the difference between if this guy is going to be free and we know who we're talking about or if David could die. So fucking figure it out. They had had enough. And at that point, I had had enough. That was it. Yeah. You can hurt me all you want, Mr. Guy. And then just k kill my friend. Like, what? And so, like, not that my friend died. But, you know, that's what was going on through my mind. So, next, you know, they couldn't find him. He's hiding in a snowboard bag under my freaking bed. Yeah. Seriously? Like, you can't find the guy. But you're defending him. I just didn't want to say anything because I was afraid what would happen. Yeah. yeah. It's always Scared. so scary. The repercussions. So, yeah, the repercussions are so gnarly. So anyways, we hide out in my house. He leaves finally the next day. 
I call my mom, tell her that I'm going to be committing suicide that day. I cannot be living this life anymore. I'm sorry for everything I've done, but this is the only answer because I'm not, I'm not doing this. Holy shit, again, you just took a turn on me. Like, you went from... To, that's pretty insane. Yeah, well, it was insane that I kept putting up with everything, so at least I was making a decision to make it stop in my mind at the time. Yeah. So... She said, no, Lauren, you are, you, need, you, ha, you know who you are. And I was like, I know who I am, but I don't know who I am anymore. And my light is gone. And what, I have nothing to give. I am not an athlete anymore. I'm not smart anymore. I'm, what, my actions are killing other people. And I can't live with that. And she was just like, nobody's died. Everything's fine. Get your ass home now. I'll buy you a plane ticket. Get a taxi to Reno. Don't pack for a week. Pack for three months. You're coming back. I'll pay the landlord. Tell him you're not being evicted. We'll figure it out. And I said, absolutely not. No, I don't want to come home. I don't want to seek professional help. I want this over. I'm done. Goodbye. I love you. Frank. Next, you know, I get a knock on my door from a buddy of mine who... um, was a boyfriend of mine from high school and my somehow he just you know showed up i don't know what was going on if there was like a channel through god or mom didn't didn't call him i don't i don't know she didn't know his number but he just showed up and he's like what up and he's amazing and he's like i'm like dude we got to get the fuck out of here you know and he always loved me like loved me unconditionally he's like all right babe where you want to go i'm like in your van and i want to go home He's like, and he had a Volkswagen van. I go, and I don't want it to be a fast home. I want us to fucking party all the way there. Because I knew what was happening. Yeah. The, the, my gig was up. So we got in his Volkswagen van, and we partied the whole way home. We probably got home like seven days later. So we drove from Tahoe back to Washington State, where I'm from. Yeah. And um, we partied and hung out in Oregon and drank beers and, you know, smoked a bunch of weed and whatever else we had. And, you know, I came home, and I had a drug evaluation done. Um, by a woman named um, Shirley, and she was one of the most unattractive women I've ever seen in my life physically. And her peace and the way she talked is all I wanted. I would have traded. Yeah. I would have traded it because she was so sweet. She and had a way. S- oh my, she was just she had everything that I wanted, and she had a she was giving me a drug and al- alcohol evaluation at a um, women's rehab center in Kirkland. And I came out of there, and my mom was in the lobby, and I was just like, they can get me in here. I think I, think I might just, I might, I might have a drug and alcohol problem. Like, I, I, might, I, might, I, I might just have a problem with that. I might not have to die. And she's like, great. Well, at least there's a solution, Lauren. You think I'm so young, you know, like 23 years old. And I waited and I partied for 11 days until I could check myself into rehab. And I checked myself into rehab and I um, stayed sober from 23 to 32. And after a year of sobriety, I was a TV host for Fox Sports Net. Had my own show called Rush Hour. It turned around that quick. It turned around that quick. Because I had everything inside of me. It would just been fucking put under a thumb of misery. Yeah. You take away the storm, the rainbow comes, the sun always comes back. Yeah. You just have to realize that the storm's going to pass. And stars, the fucking brightest stars shine with the deepest darkness. Got it. 
I was ready to shine back. I just needed to get rid of the dude, get rid of the drugs and the alcohol, and get rid of my sadness and realize, you know, it's okay for me to go back to Tahoe, Squaw Valley with my head held high, and become a barista and rent bikes on the weekends yeah. and go to AA meetings and check into jail for the warrant out for, um, for my arrest and do a handful of months yeah. in jail and humble myself and teach a fitness routine to the women in jail, you know, and auction off my pint of milk, my banana and my brownie for the best ab exercises, the most push-ups and the most squats. So you turned into the fitness queen. Totally. Totally. Fitness saved my life. Before this, you talked a little bit about as you're going down that path, your brother went down his own path. Um, and I just only because you talk about um, coming out of your path and finding sobriety and finding those 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 things through through hitting rock bottom, through hitting you know some pretty pretty severe stuff. Talk a little bit about now his injuries and talk just about the sport of injuries and painkillers and it doesn't even have to be about your brother. I just think that. It's so crazy how many times as an athlete I hear about people getting hurt. Um, the guy that in Long Beach that's like literally, I think he's doing the most grassroots effort. He's paying homeless people to clean up the streets, and it's this amazing thing. And I start to give them purpose. Yeah, and, and he's in Duke at Care Closet is crushing it and doing so much great for the world. And I talked to him about his brother, and his brother got hurt in a football injury. And he started taking painkillers. And then oh, totally, and then totally different games. He's at Oxy, and then he's at meth. And, and, and you got two guys that are playing football. One gets hurt, one brother, and one, get, one brother's like saving the, other, the world, and the other one's, you know, and he goes in they're military dealt, they're, and all Yeah, that. they're dealt the same cards. My brother, same, same cards. Yeah, my brother and I were dealt the same cards. My brother, Josh, um, and he was smoking hot and um, sponsored for snow skiing, head coach at the, on, the, on the ski team at Crystal, sponsored for wakeboarding, moved to Florida, worked at a wakeboard camp. I mean, he'd bring Scott Byerly and, these, and all these guys back to our house, you know, and just put them in our boat like it's no big deal. And they were like the biggest wakeboarders. They loved him. Um, but I feel like the difference between me and him, straight up, is that I never seeked my parents' approval. I did not give a shit what anyone ever thought of me. I still don't, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and he was the middle kid where, you know, I raised the boys. I kept running away from home, wanted to be independent, live on my own. Yeah. And I've always worked my ass off. My parents have never helped me financially. Um, and he was lost with the younger kid, our little brother Ricky, who's a pro athlete also. Yeah. Just got out of rehab this last week. Go figure. Um, and, you know, he just was lost his identity. As I, there's that thing that they say about the middle kid where they're just like, what about me? But literally, like, I think that might have been it. I also think that maybe, you know, um, you know, I was raised in a situation where my parents were not wealthy when I was being raised. So I, I loved working. I, I, you know, like I preferred work over education. Yeah. And he was in a position, you know, at an age where my parents were coming into money and they could support 
him wanting to go to, you know, do this, that, and the other thing, do training, do this and that. Same with my younger brother, Ricky, who's a superstar athlete, you know, they could afford these things for them. So I think that that comes with another um, uh, way of spoiling your kid to a point where they don't think they have to work and they can just rest on their laurels. Yeah. I guess that's what it is. And always be provided for and taken care of for. And so I am, I think that that might have something to do with the cards. I also think that we are either born with fight or flight. You know, we're either born with feeling like we need to be provided for and or that we want to be the provider. You know, and I really believe, you know, in, you know, the, uh, you know, the full on, I'm the, I'm the, you know, the captain of my, own destiny kind of thing or whatever that quote is um I you know I believe in myself I've always believed in myself that was a big reason why I wanted to kill myself is because I wasn't there to save Dave because I was in a blackout and I couldn't give a statement and so I think that a lot of people live being dependents or independence how do you know 42 42 two questions on that one um if you were to assess where you are today, because when I met you, um, you had an energy about you. Like, like I met you totally randomly, not as Lauren Abraham, as, as a friend of a friend, and, uh, and you just had this energy that, that was so amazing to you. Um, Thank you. But where do you, where do you assess, where do you, that's from the outside, right? Until I just heard your story and we well, talked about this. That's such an old story. I mean, the success stories, you know, what it really makes me um, really, really stoked, you know, is being able but to have this Where's story. your self-assessment? My self-assessment? Yeah, if you were to put yourself uh, at, a, at a one when you're 22 years old and in a wheelchair, where are you today? Oh, God. I really believe that right now everything's just bonus points. Because I've had so many life or death situations since then, you know big wave surfing, you know, heli skiing in Alaska for the big companies that I do for now. Um, you know, this is all just bonus points. Like, you know, a lot of people are afraid of death. You know, I don't accept death. I'll fight death to the end because I've been in those situations. But to me, it's all just bonus points. Like I've lived a fantastic life. I'm probably going on my seventh career now, you know, both as still a lifelong sponsored athlete at 42, coming out with my own outerwear line. I snowboard for the biggest heli ski company in Haynes, Alaska. Yeah. I mean, these are like um, accolades that I never ever would have thought possible or dreamed for my, dreamt for myself at this age. So for me, I think, you know, it's great, but now my heartache and my pain now is way more, you know, mature, not mature, yeah. mature. Now I have career heartache and career depression and career pain because everything in life is chapters and that chapter of grit as a child that makes up a lot of the fiber and gives me a lot of the integrity and morale of who I am as, a, as a, an adult but now I apply those principles in all my affairs and I'm able to you know maneuver and understand that I have a God-given intuition I can fucking you know persevere through everything be the grit rising like you say but now right now I have heartache in my career you know through COVID through being an entertainer um, and, you know, a lot of things happening in this world where people can't afford, you know, to hire talent at the level, you know, that I've been at, whether it being on camera, directing, producing, dancing, whatever it is. So I have a lot of career heartache and resentment there, but I also have unfinished business that I believe in. 
And I believe when you have unfinished business, you get down and you do the business. And so now I'm working on a travel show that I created during COVID, during Which lockdown. Yeah. I want to ask, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to ask this maybe one, one step further. If you were to self-assess your internal place where you're at today, I know you said bonus points. You, if you're looking from the outside, like you're, you've accomplished so much, you're badass, you've persevered through so much. But in your own self-evolution, like are you happy? Oh God, of course. You are. Well, of course, fuck. What you just described, I didn't go through. So I, oh, I wouldn't yeah. say. No, of course. I really believe that happiness is an inside job. Nothing. I mean, I could be in a cardboard box and I'd be stoked. Yeah. And the reason why is because of the company that I keep within myself. You know, I really, and the people that I choose to be around is a big deal. I don't choose to be around abusers anymore. And if people don't want to reciprocate and love me back at the level that I love... That's not my problem. That's their problem. And I can create space for people that want to. Yeah. So this is so, I think, dead on. Um, So often when you're accomplishing things, people want to be in your life, whether you're pretty or fit or (laughs) successful, whatever whatever those things. Social media. People want to be in your life. Um, But then when we start to choose who we allow to be in our life and we start to say no to those people that don't bring positive energy to our life yeah um it changes the game i'd say for two ways one at least i felt this one because i got rid of that negative energy but the second is you start to allow for more positive people in your life when i would say yes to people coming over um or or hang out with people that weren't there for me but were there for them well you have a lot to give i I was taking away from the opportunity opportunity people want to be around people that have a lot to give yeah. You know, people don't want to hang out with people that have nothing to give. I mean, before I got, when I was going to commit suicide, the only person that wanted to be around me was the obsessive ex. Well, I'm sure others wanted, did you think they didn't want to be around you? No, they want to snowboard with me and, you know, hook up with me. And that was it. You know what I mean? I was a mess. I, I wouldn't want to be around me. That's for damn sure. I would not even give myself the time of day if I would have met myself. I'd have been like, that chick is fucking loserville. You know, and that's talking about myself. But now, you know, um, I I really believe that people want to be around people that inspire them. Um, You know, I was sober for nine years and you learn in the rooms of AA, you know, that, you know, you want to surround yourself with people that they have what you want. And you learn that as a very, you know, you learn that. You, you know, like you, I'm sure you, I'm sure your parents had friends you know, I don't know your relationship with your parents, but there's always the parents' friends. You're like, man, that, that guy, you know, that mom or that dad or whatever it is, the friends are so cool. And you like are gravitated to them because they have a different, because they have an energy yeah. about them that is whatever that is, that energy is. And when you prod that energy, when you met me, you have been so persistent on seeing me doing this interview, hanging out and being friends because you know that you and I are going to jive. Yeah. You know that in your fucking heart of hearts that you and I are going to probably be friends for life. And so, and you're, and I like you for that because you're like me. When you see something you want, you don't take no for an answer. You're going to get it. You know what I mean? You're going to, you're going to, you know, that's you're but, probably resonating with some people right now. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah, that's, but that's true. But that's what that, what that, what does that come back to? Our athleticism to that being first place or last place my father stepfather beat into me second place is the first loser yes boom with this wooden spoon 
Well, you know, like ours wasn't with a wooden spoon. We just threw away. Crack it. We just threw a second place trophy. Crack it into your yeah. You know. But so you said athleticism. I would say the mental aspect of winning. Um, because there's athletic people that we see that are weak that we compete against all the time. I, I it's not. Even, I don't even compete anymore. Yeah. Well, I do in stadium stair competitions and blah blah blah. But it's not only that. It's about finding the perfect line on the mountain, yeah. or riding that perfect wave in the surf, or doing that perfect dive off your boat later, which would I, which is what I will do. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's those things. It's like literally just the. You know, it's like what Mike Tyson talks about. It's what all the athletes talk about. It's just consistency of self-improvement. So I'm going to go there. You go sober 23 to 32. You've been 10 years healthily unsober, I yeah. think. Um, Still fighting demons with that, well, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd say most people can't do that. Once they've gone to that step where they had to get sober, mm -hmm. they can't find a healthy balance, if you will, right? right. Um, I'm far from anywhere near as perfect as I was, supposedly they say perfect, when, you know, when I was sober, but I also have to say that I'm happier now than I was when I was perfectly sober because I'm not judging people around me. Yeah. And I was, had a very, very judgy character um, instead of just live and let live character, which is what we live, learn in the rooms, and I always would judge people. And I don't when you were sober. Yeah, yeah. Too much on myself, too. I became very addicted to um, sugar, um, fat-free, uh, sugar-free everything. And then I, be I became addicted to that. And I went from 104 pounds as a TV host on Fox Sports to 147 pounds. Um, very, very, you know, as the entertainment producer for Nikki Beach and Harris and Harvey's and Caesars and nine nightclubs. And I wouldn't even get in a bikini at my own pool party. Because yeah. I was so out of shape. And I didn't know what was going on with the fat-free, sugar-free movement in our society. Now I know what it is. And we don't need to get into those politics. But it was all, you know, it was all just a mind fuck. You know, it was just such a mind fuck. Because here I am trying to show up being the best I could be. And I'm just eating, you know, everything under the sun that was supposedly sugar-free, fat-free. And I'm just gaining weight by the bucket loads. Luckily for me, you know, I had already had a show on Fox Sports that called Des uh, Destination Wild that was out. And my agent called me and he's like, Muscle and Fitness Magazine finds you so fantastic. And they want to do a double page spread on you as the host of Destination Wild and you being a pro snowboarder. And I'm like, my, my manager, I'm, and I'm in Tahoe, and I'm like, Milt, I can't even get into a bikini at my own pool parties at Nikki Beach, you know, because I'm running Nikki yeah. Beach up there. And he's like, well, how bad is it? Figure he's it like, out, right? Yeah, and I'm like, Mill, it's bad. And he's like, and I sent him a photo. He's like, well, they wanted to do this in two weeks. I'm like, well, can they give me two months? I'll get a trainer. And I literally showed up hotter than shit in two months, dropped 40 pounds in two months with a trainer, and then became the most published fitness magazine fitness model for in a decade. Do you think that that's one congratulations? Thank you. Two, do you Whole think new that's chapter of career that you know what that was just totally education accident. or is that the athletic just, that just that, hey I'm gonna I'm gonna no it's that athletic I'm gonna win commitment 
It's not win myself. I'm, yeah, I'm You're going to win. give everything I can until I step off the plane in LA. Milt picks me up and he t- drives me to the set. I will give it everything I got, and if it's not perfect, it is the best that I could give it. It was perfect to me, and uh, yeah, I signed endorsement deals with Bodybuilding.com the next week, and away my fitness career blew, and I've traveled the world as a fitness model. Freaking crazy shit that happens to us when we just put in the work. I'm going to go five rapid-fire questions. If I'm a girl or a guy listening to this podcast and I have been told by a friend that I'm in an abusive relationship, what's your number one piece of advice? Because we never think we're in it. We just get told that we're in it, right? The number one piece of advice I have is this. You have to realize the difference, like I said before, between obsession and love, and you also have to realize, do you want to be an inspiration to the people around you, including yourself, or do you want to be a complete depression to people around you and the people that you love? Because if you can't do it for yourself, do it for the people that you love. Yeah. And if there's no one else around, then do it for yourself. Or, you know, literally, Put your fucking big boy pants on and get to rock bottom as fast as you can without killing yourself. So then you really are willing to, to turn the page. I mean... Where, where's that second question? Where's that best friend that showed up at your door today? You guys still close? I Googled him recently and he's behind bars. Oh, that sucks. Did you reach out to him? I can't. He's in behind bars. I don't know where he is. He's in jail. And, uh, and that was the last person in a million years. In a million years. So I think something happened there. Got it. You'll never understand what's going on in the psyche of the people that we love. Sometimes he became obsessed with a girl. Yeah. And he killed her boyfriend. Oh, Jesus. And this was the most beautiful human being I mean, he was the tour manager, the head catering tour manager for Aerosmith and Eddie Vedder for 20 years. He just—he was a pot-smoking, awesome hippie. He sent me off to college with my first snowboard, even though, I mean, excuse me, surfboard, surfboard, even though I was going to Tahoe. Yeah. He was the light of everyone's life. I don't know what happened there. I haven't talked to him forever. Yeah. It's fucking crazy, these chapters that we have in our life. If you were to give advice to a parent on having stud athletes as kids and everything seems like it's going well and you feel like you're doing great as a parent because your kids are winning ski competitions, what would be the one thing you would wish that somebody had given to your mom and dad? Given to my advice. Show up for the competition. If you're going to train, beat the shit out of your child, to train and to compete, show up for the competition. Watch them, be there for them. Go, take, show up for them in between trainings and, and, and be there for lunch with them, you know? My mom would show up to my soccer tournaments at the end of the game, yeah. you know? And it just made me go, you know what? Fuck you, I'm gonna go smoke pot tonight. I'm gonna sneak out of the house. You know, it just, it just that resent, you know, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna make us train so hard, then at least, at least make us feel noticed that you're watching. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
And right. I, that's 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 my own anger that I have talking because I don't I'm not I don't feel that way anymore. My parents are my best friends, yeah. but that's just me talking as a child, bringing that back, bringing. Well, it's right, still there. Well, obviously. No, no, I no, we're not. No, not at all. I mean, there's some anger still there. No, I'm I'm anger for my chi- I'm anger f- I'm angry for my child. My adult relationship with my parents is spot on besties. My dad just texted me right now. You gonna come home and compete with me and get first place? Like, yeah. you know. Um, and luckily for me, you know, I'm going up to Baldy to sign a contract as the new spokesperson of their whole mountain on that the Saturday before that. So I can't. You know, these are the beautiful gifts that I have in my life. You know. But no, I'm angry for the child that didn't understand what was going on because my parents were doing the best that they could. My mom and my stepdad were falling in love with each other. They were, they were so in love with each other. They were like in a tornado of love. Yeah. And hence why they are still married to this day and it's them against the world, including their kids. They don't give a shit. It's them against the world. They love each other so much. And that, they, that inspires me so much. Because at the end of the day, it is them against the world. There's, you know, there's been a lot of kids that my father had, my real father, that fell off. Some didn't show up to his funeral. Yeah. Um, they didn't believe in his ways of love and the way he loved women and the way he treated some of us. Um, you know, my little brother, Josh, he's not in our life anymore because he hates my stepdad and doesn't believe in my mom and my stepdad's love. So there's always a catch-22. And um, sometime, um, you know, selfishness is just a form of being selfish for self-love and for someone that you want to be a ride or die with. Some dads choose their daughters. Some dads choose their, their sons. My, you know, some moms choose their sons, some moms choose their daughters, some parents choose each other. There's no right or wrong answer, you know. Your language of love is the language of love, and I think that sometimes um, people choose their favorites, as you would say, is because that person knows how to love them the best. Yeah, I mean, God, that's a, that last statement, you know. I think what I learned in my last three years of self-development as a father is, I need to love my daughter when she fails, and I need to love her when she succeeds. They're the same thing. I was too, uh, not, not that, that I was like crazy, crazy but I, I, I noticed that I would take her for ice cream if she scored a goal. If she didn't score a goal or lost the game, it was like, yeah, let's go home and let's have dinner. It was very normal. And she's the one that's hurting, and that's when she needs the ice cream the most. Exactly. And so my passion is these days is watching them both run track and, and her good days and her bad days and his good days and his bad days. And I definitely have had to make a conscious effort to love her more when she fails than when she succeeds. And it's such a different mentality than my son, who's a different person anyways, but it, it's, a, it's a unique thing. Um, the last question is you get to ask me whatever question you want. Oh, okay. The I guess, a, yeah, I guess a, um, here's a good question. What would you have done if I was your daughter and this was what happened to me? Fuck, that's a, that's a tough one. So I've never done a drug in my life. I think I, I, you actually knew that. Um, I didn't know that. I've never done a drug in my life partially because... Um, I was drug tested, being in track and field. So athletics, 
in track and field was very, like, probably the most tested, you know, sport ever. Um, and so the drugs, I've seen so many good people go bad because of drugs. Whether it's, now what's scary is all this fentanyl out there, right? Like, holy shit, like, cocaine used to be okay in theory. Um, now no, I'm it was, seeing, it was. I mean, yeah. look at the 80s. It was, now, it was, now it I'm was seeing people, chill. like, you know, die out of nowhere from, from this. And then, and then what else the fentanyl has in it that's leading to meth and everything else. Um, so I think the biggest thing I would have tried to do if that was my daughter is figure out how do I get her away from drugs? And, and that's hard because she probably would have looked at me and said, dad, you've never done drugs. You don't, you don't go fuck yourself. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. No, literally that's what I, yeah, and so I, I probably, probably would have put her on my boat and made her come spend time with me for a week in Catalina where she doesn't have access. That's, that's the reality. I'm, I mean, when my daughter went through a tough time uh, last year and we went on a road trip to the East Coast and she was in a hotel room with me and ate dinner with me and we went run, runs together and, and we, I bond with her more through running. I don't know if she likes running with me as much as I do with her, but time. I, so, so my answer is time. I think that when we have time, whether we're talking or not, that's what I've also learned is we don't have to talk. We can just be there together, sharing a meal, doing whatever as time, not necessarily like having this really philosophical conversation or deep conversation. It's just being there and being like, hey, I love you. You want to go get ice cream? Like the basic little simple shit. Uh, it happened the other day. It, you know, it's a Tuesday night, and you know she's working three jobs, and she, I can tell she has this anxiety around what college she's gonna get into and how, and she's going through this. And I'm like, let's get some cookies, like. Right, 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 right. Basic dumb shit. Yeah. Like let's let's go get a chocolate chip cookie, and in that moment we share, like you know, let, let's do it. So I probably would have gone very basic, bring it back to childhood and gone basic. Yeah, back to athletics. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're like, I go take her for a run. Yeah. And it's funny because my stepdad, you know, all he wants to do is work out. When I come home, he know, he's the Terminator. Yeah. I'm the machine. <laughs> and literally, he, he'll crack the whip and we will go for six-hour mountain bike rides and then come home after that, have a meal, let our food digest, and then go swim for an hour and that's our bonding. But maybe you guys should go get some ice cream next time. Well, he's a sugar addict, so of course. <laughs> we get a bottle of wine, oh, yeah. And, yeah, and we eat some ice cream. Or I'll go back and, you know, he's addicted to action sport videos on YouTube and this and that. And show me, oh my God, look at this Nitro Circus and this and that. And, you know, I'll be in the kitchen baking cookies for us. But, you know, and he's been, he's my best friend because my real father, you know, passed away a long time ago. But... Like, you, you know, I love what you said because that is the answer. And for him even reaching out today, and he barely ever, you know, calls me unless I say, hey, I'm coming home. What are you doing this weekend? Yeah, yeah great. Cool. We'll go to Sun Valley or whatever. But, like, literally him texting me when I was on my way here to see you, um, him saying, hey, you want to come home and compete with me at the stadium stair competition? Because he, oh, it made my heart melt. Now, I can't make it. He doesn't know that yet. But still, just him reaching out and making me feel like he wants me there by his side because he knows I'll get first place with his ass, yeah. you know, makes me proud. Yeah. So it's really, really cool like that. Well, well thanks, thanks for the time, time today. Yeah. It's a good hour. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, and, uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate me. it. Yeah, me too.